ಓಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು So we are on the sixth chapter of the um, Bhagavad Gita. And um, this is a chapter on meditation, Dhyana. He has set the context for meditation that a certain amount of uh, moral, ethical preparation and discipline is necessary to prepare the mind for successful meditation. Most of our efforts in meditation Uh, we find it very difficult everybody complains about how they are unable to meditate and it's almost always in fact it is always the lack of these preparations which uh, krishna has mentioned in the first few verses now he concludes the topic of preparation um in the eighth verse which is a beautiful verse and profound verse where uh, what is the ultimate result of not only the preparations but also the the meditation the enlightenment uh, what kind of a, of an enlightened what is the effect of enlightenment what will we be like after enlightenment all these things are summed up beautifully in the eighth verse eighth and uh, ninth verse also after which we'll start the detailed instructions on meditation so the eighth verse we'll take a look at the eighth verse today eighth and ninth verses verse number 8 gyana vigyana triptatma kutastho vijitendriyah yukta ityuchyate yogi samaloshtashma kanchanah the yogi whose self is satisfied through knowledge and realization who is steady and has the senses under control and to whom a clod of earth a stone and gold are of equal value is said to be steadfast so this is basically the definition of the ideal yogi in the sense of the ideal spiritual seeker now there are certain points i wanted to make here one is this uh, word yukta so who is a yogi an ideal spiritual seeker um and an ultimately an enlightened person according to uh, krishna he uses the word yukta uh, yukta ityuchyate is this yukta this word yukta comes uh, a number of times in the bhagavad gita and every time it's defining some aspect of being a yogi so so the main ones which we have come across uh, i'll talk about most of them we have already come across so i'll just uh, touch upon those ones quickly so yukta we saw in chapter 5 19th verse if we go to the verse number 19 chapter 5 we'll see chapter 5 verse number 19 is ihaiva taijita sargo yesham samye sthitam mana nirdosham hi samam brahma have i made a mistake here 
Oh, I see. No, this is not the verse I wanted to talk about. The verse I wanted to talk about here is um, verse number 23. Chapter 5, verse number 23. Uh, I got mixed up. Same chapter, 23, a few verses after this. Chapter 5, verse number 23 goes, Shaknoti heivaya sodhum prakshareera vimokshanat kama krodod bhavam vegam sayukta sasukhi nara. So there's a definition of yukta. The word yukta in general means um, steadfast, engaged, uh, connected, uh, attained, um, practicing something assiduously, sincerely, that, that person is yukta. Now, the various aspects of being a yogi or being yukta, in the 23rd verse, in chapter 5, it says that a person who is able to withstand the, the waves, the turmoil, the urges of, um, of anger and greed and lust in this life itself, that means after death, it's all over. But... Uh, in this life itself, uh, in the midst of uh, temptation and aggravation, if one can remain steady, and steady in what? Steady in, in your uh, spirituality, in your devotion to God or in your centeredness in the Atman. If that is possible, if one can practice that to the extent that one can practice it, one is Yukta. So, Kama Krodhud Bhavam Vegam. Vega means a wave. Uh, a burst or an agitation or a turmoil, one who can um, who can withstand. That means one who is not swept away. So the urge to hit out, to lash out in irritation or anger, it will come. What he's saying is not that it will not come. That that's much later, much more advanced. But uh, but at a preliminary level, those things will come. Negative reactions. Can I not? Um, you know, be swept away by it. There's an urge to say a harsh word, the urge to maybe insult somebody. Maybe even uh, you might feel that person deserves it. But can I uh, not be swept away by it? The thought comes, the feeling comes, but I do not give in to it. I keep quiet. And obviously that thing passes away. The very interesting thing is it goes away quite soon, actually sooner than you would expect. It's the same thing for greed, the desire to accumulate which becomes an addiction. Can I stop myself from uh, accumulating possessions, money, whatever it is, or passion, lust. So one can, if one can withstand those urges, not given to them consistently, that is yukta. Basically what he's saying here is the ability to manage one's ragadvesha, one's likes and dislikes. One's likes and dislikes, preferences, um, they are born of our past conditioning. Most of those likes and dislikes are worldly. They, they are not of much help in spiritual life. Some of them are of help in spiritual life. Yes, I like, I, I have a liking for Vedanta maybe. I have a liking for devotional music. Very good. That you can give a, a green light to. Yes, go on. Let that be expressed and let me follow that up. But there are certain things which, which do not um, help me in spiritual life. And he says, Kama Bhavam Vegam. The urges, the waves, the turmoil caused, specifically he mentions anger and lust. 
and not to give in, not to be swept away by that. That person is yukta. This is first stage. The, um, we are investigating here the word yukta, which Krishna uses. It's a key term to define a yogi, to indicate a yogi, and to tell us what we must practice and also show us what it will be like in a, at an advanced level. So the first one is this ability to manage one's raga dvesha, not to be swept away by it. Then the second, a deeper meaning of yukta, you, we have come across in an earlier verse. By the way, none of this is my own uh, analysis. Uh, sometimes I don't reveal my sources, but it's good to know that it all comes from a lot of wisdom gathered by many masters. Often a lot of it is not available in English. So what I'm talking about here is a great uh, non-dualist Advaitin, Akhandananda Saraswati, who lived in the, the mid-20th century, uh, a little later also, um, in the north of India. Very great uh, Vedanta teacher. But unfortunately, uh, uh, I mean, it's not directly available to us in English. It's all in Hindi or in Sanskrit. So he says, in, in a talk he gave uh, on the Gita, he says, just, just consider the word yukta. So take a deeper look at the word yukta. We go to chapter 4 and a very famous verse, the 18th verse of chapter 4. The 18th verse goes, Karmanya karmaya pashed akarmanicha karmaya sabuddhiman manusheshu sayukta kritsna karmakrit. He who sees inaction in action and action in inaction is wise among men. He is poised and a performer of all actions. So here you have the word sayukta. This is the one who is yukta. This is a well-known verse. It might jog your memory. Some of us, we spent quite a bit of time on this verse. I think one whole class probably we spent on this verse. And it's, uh, uh, it's one of those paradoxical verses, difficult ones where Sri Krishna reveals a profound teaching using paradoxical language. That which obviously seems to be action. He says the wise person knows that is inaction. You know, you're doing something, working, walking, talking, reading, or even praying and meditating, is it? It's, it's what seems to be action. He says it is actually inaction from a wise person's perspective, from the one who is um, yukta, from that perspective. And the opposite, um, what seems to be inaction to the rest of us, somebody taking a nap or somebody who has given up um, you know, worldly duties and job and family and gone off uh, into the mountains, and become a monk or a nun or something. So the person is disengaged from action. So not action, no action. We think that. And uh, he says, the wise person says that it is, the yukta says, that is action. What we, we normally think as inaction, the, uh, the yukta, the yogi says that is action. And what we normally think of as action, the yogi says that is inaction. And we know what is the meaning. This is the teaching about the nature of the self using paradoxical language. The, the false self, the lower self, the personality, that is the one, the lower person is the one who feels, I am the doer of actions. I am the one who is here. Obviously, I am here. I am talking. I am sitting. I am reading. I am engaged with all of you. Why wouldn't it be so? But consider this, for example, example of your dream. So in, in your dream, suppose you are there in your own dreams. 
you went out, met with friends and did stuff. Um, maybe many things happened and you did many things too. And, you came, and when you wake up, you realize it all seemed so, to be so, seemed to be action. From the perspective of the waker, nothing happened. Yeah, you saw the dream. You were a witness of the dream. But you did not actually do any of those things. You did not go to those places. You did not meet those persons. You did not perform those actions. But you saw it as a dream. This is an example. An example for what? The enlightened person realizes that every moment of our lives is like that. Our real nature is this unchanging radiance, a pure subjectivity, an unchanging radiance in which is lit up all the activities of our lives. Just as all the activities of our dreams are lit up by the dreamer's mind. That's an example. Right now, whatever is happening and whatever has happened in the past, whatever will happen in the future, all of it is lit up by that constant light, which is, I won't even say my real self, I will say I am that. So from that perspective, all the so-called activities of the world which are going on is not activity because I, that radiant consciousness, I do not do any of that. I never did. I am not the doer of those actions, nor am I the experiencer. In Sanskrit, karta bhokta. Karta means doer. Bhokta means once you are the doer, you will be the experiencer of, of the results, good and bad. Um, all action consciously done generates papa punya, merit, demerit. And if I feel I am the doer of these actions, that one which is the doer of the actions, that one will experience the pleasure and pain associated with good deeds and bad deeds. But I, the one radiance, the divinity, you know, the one divine I, Aurobindo used a very beautiful language. Um, the world drowned in the white glare of an immortal gaze. But, you know, beautiful language and awesome language. What is this realization of pure consciousness? Is the world drowned in the white glare of, a, of an immortal gaze. What is that immortal gaze? Pure consciousness, which reveals everything and yet is in, in, unaffected by anything. That might be great for that pure consciousness. What about me? I'm suffering. No, you are that. You always were that. You are that now. And from your perspective, nothing whatsoever has been done actually. All of it has been like the witnessing of a dream. And this is not as esoteric or as abstract as it sounds. A little bit of thinking about it, one, one begins to get it. Isn't it so in our lives, especially when we look back through the lens of memory? How much of those things which has happened to us, which we consider to be our memory, uh, how much of it, if you really see the feel of it, how is it very different from fiction, stories, um, you know? So we remember patches of our lives and the people we lived with you know, from childhood till now. And if they are not vividly present with us right now, they would have faded, more or less. So some of it would be less story-like almost. You remember it, but it's almost like a story. So it's like you witnessed it. And what Vedanta is saying, it's going, like that same thing is going on now. From that perspective, no action whatsoever is done, even though a lot of activity is going on. Another example, one example was the dream. Another example is the screen and the movie. 
So from the perspective of the screen, nothing whatsoever is going on. From the perspective of a movie, a tragedy, a comedy, an action movie, a science fiction movie, a horror movie, um, uh, you know, there are horrible stuff is going on or funny stuff is going on or uh, space aliens are coming. So much action is taking place. From the perspective of the screen is um, akarma. No, no work is being done at all. Now the opposite also. The what what the unenlightened see, think that it is not action. I will not um, go out and do anything. I will sit here quietly. I'm not performing any action. That's also action from the enlightened person's perspective. Because the unenlightened person, who is the unenlightened person? The person who is identified with body and mind, who just thinks I am this. I have no idea what else um, you're talking about. Or if I read a little bit of Vedanta, I have some idea what you're talking about. But I honestly, I feel I am just this, this person. Then this is the person who, when I say, I'm going to sit quietly and not do anything. The enlightened one, the yukta will say, that's also doing something. As long as you are the, the driver of the car, the operator of this body mind, you are firmly attached, embodied, rooted in this body mind. If you think you're doing something, you are doing something. If you think you are not doing anything, uh, you're still doing something. You are still trapped in the uh, agentship uh, associated with body-mind. So this is the vision of our nature as pure consciousness, that white radiance, immortal gaze, which Aurobindo uh, wrote about. So this is the second deeper meaning of the yukta, word yukta. The yukta is the one who sees this. It's a vivid reality for that person. Third meaning of yukta, even deeper meaning. In... Uh, Chapter 6, this verse we have not seen yet. It is going to come later, very soon. Chapter 6, 18th verse. 18th verse. Yada viniyatam chittam atmanyeva vatishthate nispriha sarvaka mebhyo yukta it when the mind well controlled remains fixed in the self alone the one is free from and one is free from craving for all enjoyments then one is said to have attained yoga note the word yukta yada means when when what this one radiance which you saw in the earlier verse, the yukta, from which perspective one can see, even when there's a lot of activity at the level of the world and the senses and the body and the mind and the speech, a lot of activity is going on. You can honestly say, I do not do anything. I, the witness consciousness, do not do anything. I witness all this happening or I, I illumine all this happening from that perspective. So that pure consciousness which you saw in the earlier verse, the, that is the yukta. In this verse, what is said is the yukta is the one who can now become immersed in that pure consciousness in, in samadhi, in deep meditation, and now no longer sees the movie. So the, in the earlier verse, it was like the person sees the movie but knows it's a movie. It's like seeing a sculpture made of stone maybe you can see a lion or a horse or an elephant and so you are seeing the lion you're seeing the horse you're seeing the elephant but also at the same time uniquely you're seeing that it is stone 
It is nothing other than stone. That was the state in the earlier uh, verse. Uh, when we said yukta, that, that person sees the activity going on in the world and knows that I as pure consciousness do not act. Even though the body is acting, even though the senses are active, even though the speech is active, even though the mind is active. I really do not do anything. That was the perspective. But obviously, that person is experiencing that. The dream is going on. The movie is playing. And the activity, though it is an appearance, it's still happening. Now, that same person can, has, has got the capacity of withdrawing the mind, focusing, withdrawing the senses, focusing the mind, you know, turning it inwards, as it were, into that white radiance, into that immortal gaze, input into that pure consciousness, that, that radiant presence, let me call it that, that radiance presence. And the mind submerged in that loses uh, all awareness of any kind of external activity, body, senses, thoughts, all of that stuff. Only light remains. The light which you are. So he says, Yada viniyatam chittam atmanyeva avatishthate. Having controlled the mind, one remains steady in the radiance of the self. Yukta ityuchate tada. That's another meaning of yukta, the deeper meaning of yukta. And finally, we come back to this verse which we are talking about now. Chapter 6, verse number 8. Even deeper meaning of yukta. Now you will see the, um, the term yukta in all its glory. He says, here it means both. The one who can immerse oneself in samadhi and lose complete, um, you know, completely immersed in pure consciousness, not aware of the external world, body, senses, thoughts, all of that. The senses, thoughts have stopped. The senses are calm and withdrawn. The body is steady in meditation, sitting in asana, and the world outside is not perceived at all. So, what is experience? It's not. He has not fallen asleep. So, <laughs> this person is immersed uh, in his or her own real self, which is pure consciousness. That is samadhi. Now, when this person awakens to the external world, when again comes back to the world, uh, sees that same reality everywhere. So, as Sri Ramakrishna says, with eyes closed and with eyes open. Now, one reality at the heart of everything, the presence, the radiant presence, you see that. And then, again you look at the world, you see that reality in everything. So that is what is mentioned here. So the technical terms they use is just one word. They will indicate all this which I'm uh, going. I mean, I'm going on about. They say samadhi and vyuthana. Vyuthana means arising out of samadhi. Arising out of samadhi in the sense aris arising into an awareness of the worlds, which of the world, which is now just name and form to you, to the one who is enlightened. So. So he says, Jnana Vijnana Triptatma Kutastha Vijitendriya Yukta Ityuchyate. This is the eighth verse of the sixth chapter. The deepest meaning of Yukta we get here. Now with eyes closed, with eyes open, the same radiance is seen everywhere. How do you know that he's talking not only about samadhi but also about the world of appearance? He says, Sama Loshtashma Kanchana. The yogi, this yogi 
for this yogi uh, gold kanchana stone you can call it a stone dosta or yeah uh, a stone a cloud of earth they are all the same for the yogi why are they all the same they are all the same because they are all appearances gold is not gold stone is not a stone and the cloud of earth is not a cloud of earth just as things things seen in the dream would be considered an appearance you would not mourn the loss of lot of money in the dream you would not celebrate the uh, winning of a lottery in the dream after you wake up you wouldn't start dancing the jig because you earned a lot of you got a lot of money in the dream it's no gain and it's no loss to you so because it is absolutely uh, they are appearances jagat mithyatvat because the world is an appearance therefore uh, this yogi is the same to um, uh, to gold a cloud of earth and a stone deeper reason because the yogi sees the same divinity everywhere so in that sense it is the same divinity which uh, which the ignorant call a stone or um, or gold or a cloud of earth so you can see it is same thing which is the rope and which is the snake as snake it is an appearance as rope it is the reality now what is a piece of stone or or earth in you know, a clay or gold you can see it in both ways you can see that it is nothing at all the gold is not gold and nothing particularly valuable or great the stone is not a stone or cloud of earth is not just mean ordinary piece of um, you know little bit of dirt no they are all appearances and it's the same to me or you can say it is the same divinity which shines through all of them it's not that the gold is a little more divine than a little bit of earth a little bit of clay no the dirt and the gold are equally divine to me and and these are not two alternative explanations they are the same truth i'm saying the same truth in two ways you can see why if you look at the think of it as the snake and the rope the snake and the rope example you can say whatever is the snake is the rope whatever appears to be a snake is actually the rope and the re- reality which is called rope was misperceived as the snake we are both talking about the same reality so this is from the enlightened perspective but remember this verse is at the juncture of um, summing up the preparations for meditation and then showing you the final result of um, uh, enlightenment so as a preparation for meditation what it means here is not that you'll be able to see everything as false not that you'll be able to see the same divinity in everything we have not reached that that level yet but what is expected of us is vairagya dispassion so because of dispassion what is dispassion the things of the world have little value for me no value for me what is of value for me is god and god alone this dispassion dispassion for the world and the love of god in bengali sri ram sri ram krishna is to say bishaya virag ishwara anurag so virag a dispassion for vishaya uh, things of the world things of the senses anurag affection love and pull ishwara towards god so vairagya has these two sides it's not just negative it has a positive side of it if we actually look at the words themselves they're interesting when you say vairagya and viraga and anuraga the word raga means liking the sanskrit word raga means liking 
also when you say viraga dislike but it also means removing the coloring our mind is colored with a, a false sense of the importance of gold yeah. I, i am dismissive of dirt and i saying that money is much more important than that this is a coloring in my mind that coloring removing that coloring is called viraga to remove that coloring anuraga means to color the mind with liking but color the mind in what color the mind in god sri ramakrishna's example of the man with a vat of dye color and people would come and say can you give me can you make my cloth yellow and he puts it in the dye and makes it yellow and can you make my cloth blue and he puts it in the dye and makes it blue so we color the cloth in the, in god and uh, wash away the coloring of the world that is viraga so when sri ramakrishna is sitting he is demonstrating this on the bank of the ganga and he is, many people know this in bengali taka mati mati taka taka means money mati means dirt or you know clay and he would take up a handful of dirt in one hand and a handful of coins in the other and throw both into the river ganga so coins or money or clay and clay is uh, money and is humorous also i did that to practice that it's uh, it's the same to me so this is this passion he at this point he is not saying so this is a teaching for us so at this point he is not saying it is all appearance it's mithya it's like a snake in a rope and therefore it is the same he is not saying that he is not even saying it is the same div- divine mother in all if it's the same divine mother in all he wouldn't throw away even either dirt or the coins what he is saying is uh, much more practical and at our level that this false coloring we have given importance to money uh, this thing has to be given up so because of dispassion because of um, the renunciation of worldly um, you know passions greed and uh, pulls worldly pulls and the pull towards god being more therefore clay and gold and a piece of stone are the same to me but sri ramakrishna is also humorous he said i threw them both away but then i became nervous what if mother lakshmi becomes annoyed with me you know lakshmi is the goddess of wealth so i threw uh, money away so money is supposed to be the symbol of uh, the goddess of wealth what if mother lakshmi gets annoyed at me and stops my he said the ghat in the vegetable soup <laughs> so which is supplied from the temple he was the priest of the temple suppose the divine mother cuts off my supply so he said i quickly prayed in my heart that i quickly prayed mother stay in my heart so not as money in my pocket but stay in my heart as as the divine mother so that she won't be annoyed right so that is the meaning of uh, yukta and samaloshtashma kanchana the these things are same to me the somebody joke later on that sri ramakrishna did the right thing because he was aware of the importance the value of real estate which was going to shoot up so that's why he said money and real estate are the same thing taka mati <laughs> earth and uh, money are the same thing and uh, he also says here vijitendriya controlled the senses are controlled senses are controlled here means that um for an for ordinary persons our joy 
is in the contact of the senses with their objects. To see things which I like, which gives me pleasure. So I must, my eyes must come in contact with pleasing forms, colors, shapes. My ears must come in contact with pleasing sound, the voice of a loved one, the beautiful music which I, uh, which I like, or the, the pitter-patter of raindrops on the leaves outside. Right now it's raining here in, in Manhattan. So this is pleasing sound and my ears must come into contact with that. So this gives me pleasure. And the opposite, that my um, senses must not come into contact with things which I dislike, which give me pain or cause me annoyance. I don't want to see certain things. I don't want to hear certain things. I don't want to taste a particular kind of food. This is causing me, uh, because I, I have a dislike for that. This is the, the state of uh, a worldly state where our likes and dislikes are, are dominate us. And they are, these are likes and dislikes connected to satisfying the sense organs. And this is a kind of slavery. And there is a beautiful saying that kinkarasya kinkari aham ahaha. Alas, what is my condition? I have been made a servant by the servant of my servant. <laughs> I have been made, alas, I have been made the servant, a servant by the servant of my servant. Who is my servant? I am, I am the uh, Atman, pure consciousness. Who is my servant? The mind. Who are the servants of the mind? The senses. And I, the pure consciousness, the spirit, the soul, I have become a servant to my senses. I run around trying to gather things which they demand. The eyes demand to see certain things. The tongue demands to eat certain things. The ear demands certain things. The skin demands a kind of touch. So all of these things, I'm running around day and night to gather and feed these senses. I have become a servant to the servants of my servant. <laughs> so, um, that is the condition of the worldly person. What's the condition of this person, the enlightened one? He says, Vijita Indriya, senses have come, come under control. No longer a servant of the servants of my servant. Why? Because this person's satisfaction is in the self, in, in reality. Uh, it, this person's satisfaction is Jnana Vijnana Triptatma, the next phrase which is given. The satisfaction is in knowledge. All right, let me use the words Jnana and Vijnana because then I have to translate what, what would Vijnana be? Higher knowledge? <laughs> so this enlightened person's satisfaction is in Jnana and Vijnana. What is the ordinary person's satisfaction in? In trying to satisfy the senses. Because this person's satisfaction is not in trying to satisfy the senses, this person's satisfaction is in jnana and vijnana, and we'll see what that means. Therefore, the senses of this person are already under control, are well under control. This person, everybody wants to be happy. Now, what do the senses do? They're insidious. You will be happy if you see these nice things, these pleasurable things. You will be happy if you get these nice touches. You will be happy. These are all things my senses promise me. If you hear this kind of music or if you hear the voice of the beloved person, so this is, you'll be happy. And therefore, in order to be happy, we say, all right, let me get, go, go around, keep on gathering these things. And of course, it doesn't work. It works only for a while. And then it's gone again. Again, you're running around to gather these things. Whereas the enlightened person is not after that. Enlightened person is already happy. Not by gathering what the senses are demanding, but by something within. What is within? 
jnana and vijnana so what is this jnana and vijnana we will see why it is of particular interest to us is um because of of course ayan maharaj's vijnana vedanta so what is the way in which jnana and vijnana has been translated uh, traditionally in the traditional commentaries including by shankaracharya shankaracharya's commentary on this jnana which is translated as knowledge is the knowledge gained by the study of vedanta shastra jnana so you do shravana manana of uh, especially shravana and manana of vedanta you study vedanta argue it out reason it out you begin to get clarity you tick off all the books on your reading list and that gives you that does give you a certain amount of joy definitely it does so specifically the knowledge gained by study of vedanta or gained by the study of the scriptures that is called jnana now the traditional interpretation is after this comes vijnana when this jnana is converted into experience when you can say honestly i read i am the atman i heard i am pure consciousness i argued it out that i am not the body and mind but now honestly i can claim if not to anybody else at least to myself i can claim i clearly see that i am not the body and not the mind i clearly see that i am the witness consciousness so see means in the sense of understand so this is called vijnana what has been read what has been studied and then it, what has been understood and you are convinced about it that is now clearly seen as a fact of life that's clearly seen as a fact of life um so this is the traditional interpretation traditional interpretation is that jnana um, knowledge is gained by a serious um, concentrated systematically studying vedanta you study the upanishads the bhagavad gita the brahma sutras um, the vedantic texts like vedanta sara parokshanubhuti um, trigdrishya viveka and so many vivek chudamani so many other texts you don't have to complete all of it in fact any one of it will do because they all teach the same thing but you have studied it now you get the feeling it must become a living reality i still feel i am this my living reality the lived reality is that i am a, an embodied awareness that must shift to that i am an awareness in which uh, world body even embodiment is an appearance so that must happen i feel i am still this somehow connected even if i am not the body i am still somehow connected inextricably bound to this mortal body this aging body this sickening body uh, i am bound to this mind which is fluctuating i am uh, so i'm somehow caught up in this limitation that must change to show that i am already unlimited so this shift is called vijnana so this is a traditional interpretation so what's wrong with this nothing wrong with it but then Sri Ramakrishna in the uh, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, in which Ayan Maharaj is seized upon, he says that Sri Ramakrishna says that to see the reality, to to know that there is this ultimate reality, to rea- to realize it, that Brahman is there, I am Brahman. Uh, this is Jnana. This is knowledge. God is. It is knowledge. And then what is Vijnana? Vijnana is to see that the same reality has become everything in this universe. And the example Sri Ramakrishna gives is. that um, 
when you climb up to the roof of the house, go to the staircase and climb up floor after floor, go to the roof of the house. And uh, then you see what the roof of the house is made of, the same concrete and wood and bricks and whatever. The house itself is made of, of the same thing. And look back and you saw whatever you left behind was made of the same thing. So it's that same reality. So going to the roof of the house is realizing God. And that is jnana. Um, and then looking back upon the entire universe, which you had left behind, and then not this, not this, look behind, and you see even the mind and the senses and the body and the universe are the same one divinity. This is Vigyana. And Sri Ramakrishna insisted, this one must go to that, that level. One must not only, you know, neti neti, not this, not this, but iti iti, that here itself, in these people itself, who I thought to be, someone is my friend, someone is my relative, that will come in the next verse. You think this one is your friend, this one is your well-wisher, this one is your relative, this one is your enemy, this is the person whom you're indifferent to, that is a person you don't like. No, all that, all of that is wrong. Why? Why? From the perspective of, oh, there's some echo there. Uh, from the perspective of um, from the world, the falsity of the world, because none of them are anything to you. You are that um, asanga, unattached consciousness. Or from the perspective of Brahman, one reality, all of them are the same Brahman to you. So these distinctions which we have made in any case, those are not uh, right. Um, so jnana and vijnana. So now we have two interpretations. One is the general interpretation you find in many of the commentaries. What you study, hear from the teachers, you learn, Vedanta, that is jnana. And that's good. That gives you some peace, some tripti, some fulfillment. But the higher fulfillment, the realization is uh, anubhava. Shankaracharya uses the word anubhava when it becomes a living reality for you. And then the second interpretation is Sri Ramakrishna, who says, no, no. I mean, he never said no, no. But he says, jnana, the realization itself uh, is, is jnana. And then a fuller realization, yes, let's call it this way. A fuller realization is to see an all-comprehensive realization that there is nothing other than God. Whatever you had left behind, whatever you had dismissed is nothing other than that one divinity. So this is what Ayan um, Maj calls Sri Ramakrishna's Vigyana Vedanta. And there's no doubt Sri Ramakrishna has a special emphasis on this. Um, he says in, in many of the parables which he has used, um, for example, he says, some have heard of milk, some have seen milk, but there are others who have drunk milk and become nourished by it. So the one who has heard and seen might be the jnana. Who has just heard might be just book, le book learning. Who has seen it, who is, who, for whom it's a living reality, it is jnana, knowledge. But who has become nourished by it, uh, who has drunk it, you know, who is immersed in it, and full of the joy and can distribute that joy to others, um, invigorated by it. That is the Vigyani. That's another example. Number of parables he used. Now, my point here is one can make too much of this distinction. The traditional interpretation is different from Sri Ramakrishna's Vigyana Vedanta because if you actually see what traditional Advaitic teachers teach, you know, the monks there in the in Uttarakhand and all. 
it's not so much different what from what sri ramakrishna said so for example just today itself i was reading the hindi commentary by the swami akhandananda saraswati which i mentioned earlier so this swami speaking in the mid 20th century he is explaining gyana and vigyana so what are the two alternatives we have got uh, we already what we just talked about the study of vedanta and the realization of that that's one that's a traditional commentary if you go to the sanskrit commentaries you find that or what sri ramakrishna says he starts with the realization and goes to a fuller realization now what does this traditional teacher today of shankara vedanta say very beautifully he says what is gyana and what is vigyana he says to see the one reality in all the diversity of the universe in all this diversity is not real underlying it is there's one one reality anek mein ek ko dekhna gyan hai in all this diversity of the universe you dismiss the so called diversity and you find there is one reality it's actually one foundationally underneath the ground of it all is one reality so what is then what is this diversity mithya it's an appearance what is that one reality the truth brahma satyam jagat mithya brahman alone is real the world is an appearance and he says that is gyana then according to him then what is vigyana the vigyana is to see he says to see the one appearing as all the diversity the diversity everywhere is that one thing you look back upon that diversity and you see the one in everything you look away from the diversity and you find the one underneath that is gyana then you look at the diversity and you find the one there also in everything that is vigyana how is this very different from sri what sri ramakrishna was saying not very different at all so one can make too much of a distinction uh, but i i my feeling my instinct after uh, talking to reading and listening to a number of uh, teachers of shankara vedanta very traditional teachers they are monks and uh, some of them are pandits who are very well versed very well grounded in advaita vedanta classical advaita vedanta um what they are saying is not fundamentally conceptually different from what sri ramakrishna is saying that gyan and vigyan interpretation yeah at the most what you can say is in the sri ramakrishna avatara there's an emphasis on the vigyana there's an emphasis in seeing the immanence of the divine to see the see vigyana the gyana might be the transcendence of the divine the transcendence of the divine means apart from the names and forms of the world beyond that there is one reality unchanging reality it's a transcendent reality what is immanence immanence is that same reality is in and through everything in this world just as gold is in and through every golden ornament water is in and through every uh, wave uh, and clay is in and through all pottery similarly the one divine pervades is um, in and through underlying all the diversity so that is vigyana to see the one underlying all of diversity and to see to see the one as all this diversity gyana and vigyana uh, there is an emphasis in the avatar of sri ramakrishna on the the immanent aspect to see god in everything i think that's why he kept on stressing the worship of the divine mother of kali a brahman manifested as shakti so that much that much difference you can uh, definitely say 
Then one more verse, let's do quickly, and then we'll look at the comments and questions in the chat. The next verse continues with the same theme. Surin mitra yodasinam madhyastha dvesya bandhushu sadhushu apichapapeshu sama buddhir vishishyate. Verse number nine. He excels who looks equally on a well-wisher, a friend, an enemy, a neutral, an arbiter, a hateful person, a relative, and also on the good and the sinful. So this is what we are talking about earlier. You see the uh, see them all as same. See whom? Surin. Surin means well-wisher. So there are persons, Shankaracharya defines all of these. There are persons who do good to you. They don't want anything back from you. Maybe like your parents, uh, like somebody very close to you, uh, the best well-wisher is your guru. So who, who just wants the highest and the best for you and wants nothing from you at all. So Surin, your well-wisher, true well-wisher. Mitra, friend. So this is a friend as we understand friends. Ari, whom we consider to be an enemy. Udasena, who's neutral. Neither this side nor that side. Madhyastha who mediates in the middle of a conflict. So there are some people who will try to resolve conflict. What's the difference between a neutral person and uh, you know, uh, Udhasina and Madhyastha, neutral person and a mediator? It's a, I was thinking it's a bit like the difference between say Switzerland and, um, and the United Nations. So the United Nations is like a mediator. Switzerland is, is neutral. So Switzerland is very much in, in the middle of all things, but neutral, will not take sides. In the Second World War, for example, Switzerland did not take the side of the Allies or of, of the Germans um, at the Axis. But the United Nations today is not neutral. It will jump in and try to solve problems. Often mediators are the ones who get uh, uh, beaten up by both sides. So Madhyastha, Madhyastha is the one who tries to mediate between in a dispute. And then Dveshya, whom you dislike. So the Ari is your enemy, but the Dveshya is the one whom you dislike. Bandhu, one who's related, uh, uh, who's a uh, relative, a blood relative. Sadhushu, Sadhu here, Shankaracharya defines as a person, a good person of good moral con conduct, who lives a moral and ethical life. Papeshu, in Papa here, Shankaracharya defines as a person who performs, who does sinful things. Samabuddhi, is um, sees all of these with an equal eye. How is that possible? The yogi sees all of this with an equal eye. It's possible in this exactly the same way as the clay and the uh, stone and the gold. How is it possible? Remember three levels. One level is to see the falsity of the world. Really, your well-wisher and your enemy are not really ultimately your well-wisher and enemy. Both are appearances. And uh, the second level is, is to see the divinity in all beings. Your well-wisher and your enemy and your friend and your relative uh, and the neutral person and the mediating person, all these are masks. Behind the mask is one divinity. The cosmic actor, one cosmic actor, God is there behind all of it. So this is from the perspective of Jagat Mithya, Brahma Satyam. Two ways of seeing the sameness of all beings. And the third one, the third one of seeing the sameness of all things, which Sri Ramakrishna was demonstrating, uh, money and clay are the same, throwing 
uh, into the river. What was he doing there? He was not teaching Vedanta there. He was saying that the these worldly clinging that we have, the importance that we give to one thing to and disparage the other thing, both one must have dispassion for it. So if one has deep dispassion, then all of these will become equal to you. All of these will, you'll have a kind of same sameness of vision towards everybody. And this is something that we must aim for first before realizing the world is Maya, the world, or everything is Brahman. And that is the state of enlightenment. But the preparatory stage is uh, the Vairagya, dispassion. See, it's interesting. These two verses, they are like on the margin of practice and enlightenment. It's uh, relevant. You can interpret it from, from an enlightened person's perspective. You can interpret it from an advanced spiritual seeker's perspective. So the advanced spiritual seeker who is not yet enlightened, how would this person be the same to a well-wisher? Same in the sense, the same politeness, the same gentleness, the same uh, courtesy. If necessary, the same strictness, the same um, you know, uh, assertiveness, common sense for, for all beings. So how would the practitioner do this? Have dispassion, have vairagya. Shankaracharya, in his commentary, he gives this third uh, method of being the same to everybody. He does not say here, interestingly, he does not say here because it's a world of appearances. So what appears to be a friend appears to be an enemy. They are appearances anyway, be calm. He does not say that. He does not even say that Brahman alone is everything. Therefore, your so-called enemy and so-called friend, they are none other than Brahman, so be calm. No, he doesn't even say that. He just says, Kah king karma iti bhava. Who are these people? What are, what are their, their activities to me? Nothing to me. I was thinking, isn't this the neutral person? No. The neutral person is like Switzerland, very much in the middle of the world, very interested in the world, but just doesn't take sides. This person is not in the middle of the world, is not pursuing worldly goals. So this is something important, a lesson we have to learn. Um, initial practices in spiritual life and for a long time, not to meddle and not to get too entangled in the world. Of course, you will do your duty. If you have a family, you'll have to take care. If you do not, it will be very difficult to be spiritual. You will have to... If you're a monk, you can uh, live by begging your food and uh, staying in a ashram. If you are a householder, if you're by yourself, you'll have to provide for yourself. That can't be helped. So that much engagement is necessary in the world. Uh, but we go much further than that. We generate what is called in Vedanta, Jiva Shrishti, a universe created by the Jiva. God creates an universe. The, the universe created by God is made of, he says, Panchabhuta, the five elements, stars and planets and bodies and minds, all of these are created by God. But what is created by us? My friend, my enemy, I like, I hate, um, I'm so unhappy, or I'm so thrilled, I'm excited. All of these things are created by us. In Uttarakhand, the sadhus say, there's a saying, Ishwar Srishti kisi ko dukh nahi deta hai. Ishwar Srishti kisi ko dukh nahi deta hai. What a big thing. The creation of, the, of God does not give sorrow to anybody. You might think that's not right. A cyclone is a creation of God. Coronavirus is a creation of God. How can you say it does not give sorrow to anybody? 
they are inflexible in that and no the creation of god actually does not give sorrow to anybody it is our own creation which gives sorrow to us it is true think about an enlightened person who has come out of the delusion of being a jeeva so that person still inhabits the world of appearances generated by ishwara and that person is not impacted by the so called ups and downs in the creation of of ishwara that person is um, is is serene in the midst of suffering in midst of pleasure of honor and dishonor so that means actually um, even in the so called creation of god which is also mithya which is also vyavaharika transactional uh, an enlightened person can live there without any sorrow which means the sorrow is not generated truly by the creation of god it's our generation it's our contribution to the world um so why was i saying this <clears throat> yeah so this is the third one we in the initial stages of spiritual life and for a long time we must be careful of how we are getting entangled in the world especially people who are in worldly life in the sense of um you have a job you have a family you and it's a reality for you uh, you cannot treat everybody at the same way as you treat your family you cannot um, treat um, your own property and everybody else's property the same way this is a, this common sense of living in the world and this is perfectly all right but don't generate this spider web of one's own uh, fantasies and delusions ka king karma ka means who are they king karma means what what is their um, their activities and their behavior what is it to be so this practice one must do this practice two step practice but i'm telling you the practice but don't uh, do it all the time it's like uh, taking a medicine maybe twice a day not more than that yeah, for a couple of minutes practice is look around step 1 look around and see whatever you are seeing whatever i am seeing whatever i am hearing is all meaningless all of it is meaningless all these positions these people uh, what people are saying good and bad all of it is meaningless step 1 then calmly close your eyes look inwards all my thoughts good thoughts bad thoughts vedantic thoughts worldly thoughts all of my thoughts my memories my desires my aspirations my guilt my uh, unhappiness all of it is meaningless it has no meaning no relevance at all and sit like that for just a minute and then come back to the world don't stay in that meaningless state otherwise you will not be able to function in the world this is this is flushing flushing your mind you can do it twice a day but don't do it too much because that can lead to alienation this is what shankaracharya says kah king karma what is it to me and often it happens as young monks when we come to monastic life as novices start fault finding it's very natural uh, the reason is we have come into a life with high ideals in life i will i want to live up to this wonderful ideal 
is a trick of the mind. It's very difficult to live, live up to those ideals. So what we slip into the error is we want others to live up to these ideals. That's why you will find this fault fighting, fault finding, criticism, backbiting, um, gossip, sometimes more in an ashram, more in a, a monastery. Monks can be quite gossipy. Why? Why does this happen? It's because there's a reason behind it. And it's actually, it's nothing terrible. It's almost natural. I'm taking up a pretty high ideal. And I want everybody else. This is an ashram. They are all, everybody is a monk. They must live up to this. And I'm quite justified in saying that. Only thing, the, why is it uh, a trick of the mind? The only thing the mind hides is, what am I doing? That's hidden. I'm very good at making excuses for myself, but finding fault in, a, in the lives of others. So we are often corrected by senior monks. I have been corrected also, the senior monks. And they'll always tell us, you have come here to become a sadhu. Have you come here to make the rest of us sadhus? You have come here to become a monk, an enlightened person. Work on that. Have you come here? To, are you in charge of making everybody a sadhu? No. Another thing the senior monks would say is that in Bengali they would say, None of us have come here becoming perfect monks, you know, becoming enlightened ones. We have come here to become enlightened. So we are all work in process. Work in process. So this uh, criticism of others, meddling into the lives of others, this becomes a hurdle in spiritual life. It's a temptation. Often very busy people in the world they don't have time for all of this. You're busy earning money, busy in your getting your PhD, uh, busy raising children. You have no time to meddle into what other people are doing. So it is retired people, monks, uh, people with lots of time on their hand and uh, who can look around and start passing judgments on others. So don't do that. That's part of Jiva Srishti. That, that's entire creation uh, of, of our mind. And it only leads to unhappiness. Why am I saying this? It is an uh, uh, explanation of ka king karma. Shankaracharya just uses two words. Who are these people? So-called friend, well-wisher, enemy, neutral, mediator, relative, brother, father, mother, sister, um, even children. Who are these people? And their activities and doings what does it matter ultimately? It does not. It is meaningless. It is meaningless. The whole point is to free yourself up for uh, spiritual realization, for spiritual practice and realization. Let me quickly take a look at what has been said here. Shravani says, technically the unchanging radiance that lights up the world and actions, is it Chidabhasa? No, it's not Chidabhasa, reflected self. It is the real self. Why is it not Chidavasa? Because Chidavasa is not unchanging. Chidavasa keeps on flickering with the flickering of the mind. It's like the moon reflected in the water. As the water goes into waves and ripples, you see the reflected moon also goes into waves and ripples. As the mind falls asleep, the Chidavasa also will become dimmer and dimmer and then will be obscured for a time being. So Chidavasa is not unchanging radiance. And Chidavas is not the radiance which lights up the world because it is different for each mind. 
one unchanging radiance right, lighting up the world through the chidavasa, you are right, through chidavasa, through mind, through the sense organs, those are all flickering lights because they are all reflected in flickering mediums. Uh, the jada, the material medium in which consciousness is reflected in through which is this channel, that's always changing. So what is changing can never be steady. Girish says, Jivan muktas, muktas are unaffected by the pain associated with samsara, which means they're equally unmoved by the pleasures of the world, art, literature, music, cuisine. They can enjoy all of them and they can feel all of the pains. Remember, I've mentioned this many times. So the Jivan Muktas, do they feel pain or not? Of course. Are they permanently anesthetized? No, not at all. This is a beautiful thing to understand. As long as they are not in Samadhi, when their eyes are open, when they're talking with us, they feel exactly what we feel. Maybe a little more. They are more sensitive to the world than we are. I asked a monk after a few days after becoming a monk and as a young novice, do we become more sensitive to the world when we are monks or less? He said more. There's no doubt about it. So you're more sensitive. Uh, so the Jivan Muktas feel pain. They feel hunger and thirst. And yet they can transcend. We have talked about this many times. How Sri Ramakrishna feeling the pain of cancer and yet can say that I am in, in, in bliss. So equally, art, literature, music, cuisine, can they enjoy these? Certainly. If they have cultivated, depends on whether they have cultivated it. So they are able to enjoy. Um, Swami Vivekananda, his appreciation of, of music and art and literature and cuisine and food, all of this architecture, what an eye he had. Incredible. Sri Ramakrishna, when it comes to kirtans and bhajan, he was very appreciative of good singers. He couldn't bear it if somebody missed a beat. So, and one must, the secret is in understanding how is this possible? How can you appreciate and understand and feel all of it? So, in, enlightenment, jivan mukti is not an anesthesia. It's not an escape from anything in the world. Falling asleep is an escape. Drinking oneself senseless is an escape. Drugging oneself is an escape. Running away is an escape. None of them are effective. None of them are effective. All of them, they just keep increasing the suffering, unhappiness. But, uh, that same Akhandananda Saraswati whom I quoted, in one place he says very beautifully, he says, Advaita, non-duality is, is not meant to erase the world. Advaita, Advaita is not meant for erasing Vavahara transactions in the world. Then what, what does Advaita non-duality do? He says, Advaita apko vevahar mein nirbad banata hai. That word nirbad is a little difficult to translate into English. It means unrestricted, limitless, free, not fearful, comfortable, at ease with whatever the world can throw with you. It's all fun for you now. You experience everything that the world can throw at you. Not one thing you uh, escape. And it's, but it's perfectly alright. You're no longer afraid. No longer um, you know, meanly uh, asking, begging for certain pleasures and happinesses from the world. No longer uh, scared and cringing away from 
pain and fear and uh, you know uh, anxiety and the problems in the world that is real fearlessness that's what advaita gives you and then bill says sri ramakrishna practice equality of gold and clay he consigned both to the ganga right coins and that is money and clay taka matir but anyway that's the point punita ji says how does a yogi remain loving towards all when it is known to be mithya it's also known to be god is also known to be one with you what is known to be mithya names and forms what is, what are you one with you are one with everybody the only time a yogi can dismiss other people's suffering is when the yogi is in samadhi and not aware of other people's suffering otherwise the yogi is more tuned to people's sufferings and unhappiness he or she himself is transcendent if you are not able to transcend then it's no point you'll become you're unhappy with one mind if you are aware of the misery sensitive to the troubles of everybody you'll become 10 times 1000 a million times unhappy that's not the point the point is you transcend it you are able you're able to see the underlying perfection purity and freedom and yet appreciate the sufferings of others identify with it and do your best at least to sympathize if not to actively remove uh, the sufferings of others bill says earth is actually more intrinsic value than gold with earth we can grow food gold is useful for dental work correct i fully agree prabir babu is kutastha in this verse does it have the same meaning as used in panchadashi thanks for reminding me i missed that word kutastha it means the witness consciousness and yes it has the same meaning as used in panchadashi rita says does one need anubhav experience of what has been studied to transition from gyana to vigyana that's a traditional interpretation um shankaracharya says what is given in the shastras is gyana and then one makes the transition to anubhava realization but um advaita vedanta points out that anubhava is already there it has to be recognized that recognition itself that brahmakara vritti that uh, one breakthrough or or intuitive grasp of that truth of an existing truth you can call that anubhava and that feels definitely feels like something startling and new tremendous for example we study read study and understand tattva masi which is gyana but one must experience this fact to have vigyana is this a correct interpretation this is the correct interpretation from a traditional classical advaitic perspective uh, so this is uh, vigyana that you make it a living reality and how we do that we have been talking about it in vedanta sara punam says with without indriya nigraha enlightenment not possible only enlightenment can have enlightened person can have senses under control how should we move towards indriya nigraha what she is saying without control of the senses enlightenment is not possible only the enlightened person have can, can have perfect control of the senses then how is it uh, possible to become um, you know uh, and uh, and enlightened if you are going to uh, only you know insist on perfect control of senses then only you'll be enlightened and then you say finally that only the enlightened person can perfectly control the senses then you're caught in a vicious circle without enlightenment 
no perfect control of senses without perfect of control of senses no enlightenment then what do you do this is you may be glad to know that this is the exact language used nearly a thousand years ago by ramanujacharya in his uh, uh, gita bhashya commentary on the bhagavad gita he says this is a vicious circle and therefore so he makes this as a case for bhakti devotion so there he introduces bhakti he says devotion is such a thing where your indriyas your sense organs are, are pulled to the divine form of god the beautiful name of god uh, the divine spirit, you know spiritual music all of the senses and prasad offered food so all of your senses are nicely caught by god uh, and they are directed towards god and then control of the senses becomes much easier so that's an this very uh, argument has been used by ramanujacharya to present a case for bhakti for devotion good um rick says gyana sounds like sankhya right the self is realized is separate from the world vigyana sounds like vedanta uh one realizes all is that yes but there is a subtle difference in sankhya consciousness is realized as separate from the entire material world the material world remains as a reality in vedanta consciousness is realized as i am that and the material world becomes an appearance false if you stress the falsity it is gyana if you stress that same brahman appears as everything so when you say brahman alone is this entire world you are not making the world real as such you are saying brahman is real and the world is nothing other than brahman in that sense then it, then you are stressing the vigyana part of it it's a subtle difference but a big difference but it's important the difference is important the difference would be sankhya insists on the independent or i won't say independent sankhya insists on the reality of the world prakriti is real as real as purusha though they are uh, connected again i have this voice in my head of my professors and pandits and all who would roll their eyes when i say things like they are connected or they are interdependent <laughs> they are they are connected for giving us worldly experience bhoga and apavarga for experience of the world and freedom of the world prakriti and purusha become connected then rick says or ritas no girish says or before that prabir basu says gyan and vigyan paroksha na paroksha gyan um in a traditional sense one interpretation would certainly be that sri ramakrishna's interpretation would be both would be a paroksha gyan one would be a paroksha gyan and one would be a fuller a paroksha gyan uh, girish says vigyana immanence of brahman sounds like vishishta dvaita um no but it's different in vishishta dvaita you have an organic unity of different reals let's put it that way and in advaita the unity is more is an identity there's only one reality which appears to be different more precisely in the avishishta advaita vedanta there is the reality of internal difference is admitted the parts of brahman are really parts and they are different we are all different from each other we are and we are all different from the insentient world but all of it is a sentient and insentient part or aspect of brahman there is an underlying organic unity which is god but this is not what is meant in in advaita vedanta 
Girish says, by definition, then no persons who are accomplished in their fields, music, business, sport can be enlightened because they're highly attached to entangled in their field. Um, contrary to that, contrary to that, I'll just take a minute. It is entirely possible for people to be people who are, um, you know, musicians, artists, uh, scientists to actually become enlightened. It's not uh, guaranteed that they'll become enlightened. You must, they must seek it. That, that sense must be there. Uh, but it is quite possible, probably more than others. Swami Vivekananda says, and in fact, Sister Nivedita, in her introduction to the complete works of Vivekananda, uh, in the introduction, she says, our master told us, religion, science, and art are three ways of realizing this. But one needs Advaita to understand this. It is sort of self-explanatory to some extent, but if you think about it, it's also cryptic. There are three ways. Religion, what religion will lead you to that enlightenment. Science can lead you to that. Art can lead you to that. Um, but then he says, how is it that possible? He says, if you, Advaita can explain that. You need Advaita to understand it. And it's a little evocative. I'll share just a little bit. Today I was walking in Central Park. And I met this most remarkable uh, lady. She was, uh, um, she saw me walking down there and she wanted to take pictures. She was taking pictures of nature. You know. And she said, what lovely colors. Can I take your picture? She's not interested in me. She's interested in this dress. So she took a few pictures and then we got talking. Most interesting person. I won't violate her privacy by talking about this uh, more. But she told me about her life. This is life dedicated to art, um, to photography, to poetry. And she was saying that I could have been uh, one of America's leading poets today. And um, she talked about, when I, she asked about the center, um, she talked about the greats of the past, you know. Um, let me share one anecdote. You'll understand what, at what level we are talking. When I said the center is just next to the Dakota, close to the Dakota, one, one block down. She, she laughed I and mean, she's quite, she was quite sprightly, short. She was, uh, she is 86 years old, uh, but um, quite fit. And she spends all her time photographing nature and writing poems. And when I mentioned the Dakota, she said, oh, the parties we have had at the Dakota. And then she talked about Ginsburg having just come back, the, you know, the beat generation, uh, having just come back from India. And she had just come back from Rome and there was a party in the Dakota. I'm sure it must have been thrown by the you know, Lennon, John Lennon or Yoko or somebody. Um, and then when Ginsburg heard that she had just come back from Rome and she was working on Italian art, uh, he knelt down and kissed her feet and saying, these feet have worked, have walked in the Roman forum or something like that, she said, he said. And she said that, I'm sure he was high. <laughs> he, he, was, he was on drugs. And she was very interested in um, um, what I had to say. She said that my studies have all have been in Greek and Roman religion. I don't know much about Hinduism. She wrote it all down uh, about Vivekananda and she promised to look it up. And I looked her up after coming back. Very accomplished person. Columbia, Radcliffe, Harvard. And she's a published author. And, but that's her internet self. But if you look at her life, she says, I have no money. I just say people think I'm this very fancy person, but 
I just this little apartment which I barely cling on to. I've never earned money. I never married. Never had children. I spent all my time uh, looking at nature, taking photographs, and writing poems. And I felt a certain, um, I would say, detachment from the world, and a certain joy and freedom of spirit there. We had a long talk, so it is entirely possible. In fact, uh, highly recommended that some kind of art or science or literature, some of the higher pursuits of the mind, they're very useful for spirituality. But one must uh, be a spiritual seeker. It's not enough to be a writer or a painter or a poet or a scientist and then are they bound to be enlightened? No, they, quite possibly they won't be. Both are possible. Yeah. Good point. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu